Union governance and people looking to run and all these people who are pro-union all of a sudden want my voice. All of a sudden they want me to care, even though they couldn't give like a fuck about me dying. For fuck's sake, a theater podcast, aka 4FS Podcast, hosted by Aaron Salazar. All right, here we go. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome back to season two of For Fuck's Sake, a theater podcast lovingly referred to as 4FS Podcast. Please make sure that you're giving us the love with your thumbs. Follow us on Instagram at 4FS underscore podcast. You can also find us on Twitter with the same and find us on Facebook if anyone's using that anymore. And make sure to do us a big solid if you have the bandwidth. If you can leave us a review, like, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, download, do all the things that you can do with your thumbs in order for us to keep this conversation going and be of service to the community of us as artists here in the world and New York City. So our brilliant, brilliant guest, Davon Williams, is continuing the conversation. And we're going to now dive into the origin story of how he got his start in the union as an actor, what led him to being elected into his position as an AEA delegate, and how The advent of the receipts with Davon Williams began. So, less introduction, and let's dive right in to this brilliant, brilliant young artist. Dear listeners, Davon Williams. I guess it starts from when I was first introduced. So um, I was in Philadelphia. I had just graduated. Um, A little bit before graduation, I got to work at the Walnut Street Theater. Mm. From there, I started working at the Art and the Wilma and stuff like that, like understudy stuff. Um, And then I started breaking into bigger things like Philly Shakes and all that. So from there, um, I get my EMC card. And then the question comes up from a producer, artistic director, pretty much being like, hey, if I give you this contract, would you join Equity for this lead role? It was a lead role in a show that I thought was bad. History has shown me that I was right. (laughs) But had that happened, I would have joined Equity. And I don't know if I would have had the personal and career, the personal successes and the career successes that I have now. Because I wanted to go for, if I had gone for that that big reward quickly. Um, And that's because I had done a lot of, oh. Wait, Wait, no, I'm so sorry. To be clear, you turned down that opportunity. Yes, I, I didn't think that. it was good. There it is. Uh, <laughs> stop. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, um, it, at the time, I was very, probably even more controlling of the direction I wanted my career to go in than I mm-hmm. am now, in which I, I, someone gave me any opportunity, I was nerding out. I was researching hard because one of the big advices I had gotten while I was in school from people who would visit is to do your homework. Mm. We got to talk to people who are successful, but it's the University Arts. We weren't pulling people like NYU and Yale were. We were pulling, We were also pulling some of the people who did not make it, uh, perceived make it, like whatever you perceive success to be. Yeah. For themselves, they felt like they did not make it. So we got to talk to people who fell short. And to me, that was way more rewarding because you got to get the, hey, this is this is a pitfall that I ran into. This is something that didn't work out. And from there, I built my... I built my plans off of that. So for me, there were things that I was nervous about. I had I was blessed to meet somebody who was a big celebrity at the time who ended up taking their life. 
because of the pressure of celebrity and followings and stuff like that. So it immediately mm-hmm. turned me off. I was like, you know what? I think I found a way in which I can work consistently and not have to deal with the bullshit that is the industry. So I think I found a way. So that work led me to international work. It led me to film and TV. In 2013, I moved to Los Angeles from Philadelphia. From there, I am now at my week's I have to join Equity. I'm in a similar situation for SAG after where I have to join. Yeah. And I, I did a poll of 100 actors being like, okay, before I move here to LA, let me just reach out and poll people and see what direction it goes in. I didn't know if the data was going to work. I, I was blessed to work for some politicians and do some data mining. Um, those, sure. Yeah, I got to work with like Democrats, Republicans. Republicans are very big on the data. I think most of it is because they know what they're saying is wrong. Like, one million percent. I think they know they're the enemy, so they really have to be relying on that data. But mm-hmm. it taught me a lot. So when I got there in three months, I booked three national commercials. I got myself some TV spots. I got myself some short film spots. And it started taking off for me again. So when I had to really look at this union thing... I felt that at that point, I was more set up for success, as in like the things that I would need from the union and stuff from both unions would help me a lot. So I went on to do it. I start attending these uh, meetings. Um, and I think I would put the wrong name or something like that, just because like, again, I was like, I don't know. I don't want to get too involved in governance. I go there and this Western meeting is awful. It is awful. And that's because we are in the middle of the what... I, I like to call it World War Three, but some people call it the 99-seat theater fight. Uh, which, oh, yes, 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 yes. Which we're all re- still trying to recover from. And at the time, L.A. actors were like, we want this 99-seat theater agreement, which essentially says that you agree to get paid peanuts right. for the access, which in any other world doesn't make sense except L.A., where the theater pipeline is mm. meant to get you to TV and film. So to them, what is a couple of peanuts when you're making 40000 per episode? So yes, uh, this money means nothing to me. However, in New York, it is their livelihood. And the workshops that would normally go to New York were starting to come to LA, and it was hurting the structure. So instead of Actors' Equity figuring out a new model, they said, shut this shit down and shut it down now. Like, that's that's what the fight was about. Um, and of course, it went down the way it did. And Maybe if I had entered a different route, I would probably be a little bit more involved in governance. But from that moment, I was like, nah, I'm good. Career's taken off. Don't need it. So fast forward, I end up doing more stuff uh, internationally. I talked to my agents and we're like, you know what? We know that if I play my cards right right now in 2018 is when we made the decision. If I go to New York, I'm positive I can break Broadway. I'm positive. I see a path forward. We're going to do it just like we did LA, and that's it. So there were certain places that were targeted, like the Weston Playhouse, Um, because the Weston Playhouse is known for breaking so many people to Broadway. Um, Mia Pinero is a great example. She was our Lori. Right after that show, she was Miss Maria, understudy in West Side Story on Broadway. Her show may still be going. Like it's just, it's just how it is. So I took that. I ran with it. Uh, There was another uh, person who was in it who came from Book of Mormon. So I was like, we are in good company. Um, And originally one of the cast members who was there before he ended up like leaving was also a Broadway person. So I was like, okay, this is good. July 20th, the show opens. July 21st is my birthday. July 22nd, I am on a bicycle and I'm with Mia. I'm like, hey. And she's like, oh, we're going to go down to this place down the street. We're going to celebrate your birthday. We'll meet you there. Her boyfriend's in town. They have the car. 
I'll go, I'll meet you. I'm going to use the Weston's bike that they gave us. And I just want to like bike by myself a little bit so I can leave a little bit early. And this is at Weston Playhouse. The Weston Playhouse, yeah. It's the Weston Playhouse, which is in a, is it kind of like a country sort of like, like chill? It's in, it's in Vermont, Weston, Vermont. Oh, so it's just oh, gorgeous. Copy it's that. beautiful. Oh my God. They have a beautiful oh. space. Woof. Gorgeous. It's also like a beautiful family. Like I, as complicated as you're about to find out my relationship is with the Weston, it is still a place that I advocate for. So it's a very weird gray area because... July 22nd, equity day off, Monday. I'm on my bicycle, provided by the theater. A guy not paying attention, positive he was texting at the time, in a Mack truck, turns, hits me with the truck. Hits me with the truck. Mind you, I go to press the brakes. The brakes on this bicycle do not work. This is summer 2019. (sighs) Mind you, I am on the outside of the country. I am outside of my circle. Not only am I outside of my circle in my my new New York bubble, but I'm now in even more foreign land is Vermont. If it wasn't for a random stunt class, I would have been under that truck dead, smeared on the street. I go to the emergency room. They're like, my God, you are bleeding. You are, you seem messed up. And I was like, but is anything broken? And they look and they go, nothing's broken. So I go, great. The next day I get on that stage. I finish that contract out for all of August. So July, August, and then I get back to New York. Contract is done. Wait, wasn't that theater company liable for this because it was their bike? You would expect, but when I reached out to Actors Equity Association when I was in New York, they did not help me. That that part of the story is still going. It's still dot, dot, dot. So we're going to see how that ends. I see how this is all coming together. This is amazing. Continue, please, please. Thank you. Exactly. So I get I get to New York. I'm there and I'm like, my shoulders hurt. My back hurts. Like oh, I'm in course, pain. Of course. <laughs> wait, no, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Any hello, dear listener. You didn't think it was gonna be like action packed like this. Okay. So I'm gagged. So I need to take a breath. But two, <laughs> can we talk about when you say hit by a fucking Mack truck and you say your stunt classes helped you, can you, if it, is, if it isn't like upsetting to you, walk us through how you were conscious enough to survive that on some level? So in this stunt class, I was a bit of an ass because I was definitely like, okay, I just want to learn this stuff because I need, I need the skill sets. Because I, I knew that I was somewhat good at like fisticuffs and rape your dagger and stuff. So I was like, okay, I just want to get the license. I want to go to this white company and get them to say that I can do it. I just need their endorsement. So I went there to get the endorsement. Um, halfway through, we finish early. And he's like, do you guys want to learn how to take on a front end collision. And I'm like, when the, when the fuck will I ever, when will I need to know to take a front end? If, if I need to do a front end collision, I probably won't do the job. Like I won't. Also, your life is a movie. This is an insane <laughs> story. Please continue. All of a sudden someone's like, hey, uh, if you guys aren't going to go get a sandwich, do you want to learn how to survive a Mack truck? <laughs> you know, I don't know what you list people believe in, but you know, sometimes the universe is just giving you hints that it's like, no, no, you're supposed to be here, bitch. And, um, yeah. Wow. Continue, please. 
so, so yeah, like I, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever, let's learn it. So we're learning all this stuff about like, keep your body this way, make sure you angle this way, make sure you look this way. You'll have this amount of time and all this. And I'm sitting there like, when will I remember this? Like, I'm going to have to be taught all this over again. And I'll never forget the last thing that teacher said. They were like, when you need to remember all of this, you will. And I just remember being like, okay, good. Did I pass? Great. Okay, good. Fast forward to this accident. The truck is coming. I hit the brakes. Notice that they don't work. It is as if time itself had slowed down, Aaron. Time itself said, hold up. And like this teacher said, as I looked at this bike, the front of this bike getting eaten up by this Mack truck, everything came back. Like literally it all came back with what felt like a minute to spare. Cause it felt like I was doing all this in a minute. It felt like do, oh do, 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 and roll and go and tuck and boom. And it was like, no, that was definitely 0.1 second. Like that was that it couldn't have gone any faster. And had I hesitated on one thing, it was a wrap. You ninjaed yourself out of death. <laughs> I cannot handle it. I, this is like, it's, I just yelled, and I'm sure my neighbors are going to lose their minds. Um, what? You know, there's no, you know, we're going to continue the conversation after this break. So if you guys haven't hung out with me, I, instead of a commercial right here, we do a quick little meditation break. So put on some headphones and uh, just get ready to breathe just for a second. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Aaron, your host and producer of the show. So there's a lot happening right now in the world. And rather than take a moment to have a commercial, I thought it would be nice for us to take a moment and recalibrate. How does that sound? Excellent. Okay, so get comfortable, and we're going to take a deep breath in, and a deep breath out. Deep breath in, and just let it out. All right. Now close your eyes, and breathe. Normally.
perfect. I hope you feel a little better now. And just remember, you are perfect. And you are loved. Okay. Let's get back to the show. Legend in the making, apparent superhero when needs be. Stop. Mr. Davon Williams, continue forth. So all this happens, you somehow completely matrix your fucking way out of death. You finish the contract, you get home, your body starts to say to you, um, excuse me, sir, something's, something's wrong. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm not feeling well. I'm not sleeping through the night. I'm in very much my neck, my back, like my neck, my back, my pussy, and my crack was on fire. I did not mm-hmm. know what to do. Um, so I'm sitting there trying to figure all this out. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just go to a city MD. I just need to figure this out. Um, and they go, what? What? What have you been doing? And I was like, oh, I got hit by a truck. This is what happened. They're like, it looks like it. <laughs> you need to, You need to stop everything you're doing. You need to heal. Now, for me... My goal was to get to New York, get that Broadway credit, come back to L.A. as soon as I can. Because L.A., for all intents and purposes, has been very good to me. I am working consistently. I know that I will be able to work the path that I want without going too far exposed into like that limelight mess and also not struggling to like eat. Because to backtrack again, when I did work consistently for a full year in um, Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. I was completely booked. That was $20,000. That was the ceiling, not including any work I was doing as a teaching artist or anything else. Working consistently as an actor in Philadelphia yielded me $20,000. Talking to other people who have been doing it for a while, they're like, oh, that's a good year. And I'm like, what? Fast forward to a woman named Charlotte Ford who had an article come out. She won the Barrymore, which is the Philadelphia Theater Award. Um, And she tells you how she only made $25,000 that year, $20,000 or $25,000 that year. That's the ceiling. Wow. So I had left to get a better life knowing that like, if that's what she's getting as a white woman, Philly ain't getting no better for me. So, mm-hmm. so thankfully, LA took off. So the goal is to get back to LA, get this Broadway credit from New York. So when they tell me I can't audition, all I'm thinking is this New York life is not sustainable. I have to <laughs> either like, I, I'm on a goal. I don't know what you know. But they, they continued talking and I was like, okay, great. The rest of 2019, I'll take it off. So I'm I'm auditioning light. Like if it's something really important, I'll go in, but I'm not doing any dance calls. I'm not doing any heavy movement. So you're healing and you're auditioning lightly. Light audition. So only things that require me to walk from left to right or just acting in park and barks. That's the only thing I was going for. First, okay. The, I, okay. For, okay. Any dear listener out there who is simply a supporter and a, and a patron of the arts, I want you to hear this. Okay, we love you. That first foremost. Second of all, this young man had survived being hit by a Mac truck. Mac truck did a goddamn show. Is healing and just kind of auditioning. That that is actually 
that is the portrait of what it means to be an artist in the theater in New York City. I just want everyone to be very aware of that. <laughs> like, that's actually how it rolls. Um, and it seems insane to me now as a fucking director, but this is what these people who devote their life to being on stage do. Just, I just want to acknowledge that shit. Anyway, please continue. So I'm sitting here completely like, okay, I, I call the union again. The union was zero help. Zero. Absolutely. To the point where they went, well, it didn't happen on stage. Yes, bitch, but they gave me the bike. They gave me the bike. <laughs> I would not be on that bike had they not given it. And if I pres- if I provided the bike, get, best believe it would have had working brakes. And when you, you say you were calling the union, for people who aren't actually aren't familiar with unions, like what would one expect to call them for in this kind of situation? So this is why I called. Now, mind you, a great experience came out of the Westin. So I felt comfortable enough to send an email being like, hey, y'all, so the brakes didn't work. I feel some sort of way. I reach out to Suzanne Geller. We do a phone call. And I just let her know straight up like, hey, I'm about to go into all this stuff. Um, you all gave me a bike that didn't work. I'm looking for some form of compensation. And I was almost meant, it, I felt after getting off that phone call with her that I was a predator, that I was that I was wrong for being like, can you guys take responsibility and some type of reparations for this amount of danger I was put in? And it was straight up, no. Like it was, it was that reverse cycle. It was that whole, it, the way it was, received and thrown back at me made me feel less than. Did you feel that they literally uh, gaslit you? I will say Suzanne Geller. I I have strong feelings towards Suzanne Geller. I love the Weston because what they did and the experience they provided. I have a very strong beef with the way Suzanne Geller handled that situation. Mm. As the leader, as the artistic, as the as the voice, as the spokesperson, who even after it happened, I had not spoken directly to her. She did not speak directly to me. However, there was an actress, white haired, um, white, blonde haired, blue eyed, who was on stage, went down and ran into someone's cowboy hat. And they got a personal call and engagement from Suzanne Gellert, which told me everything I needed to know. <laughs> that, that situation told me everything I needed to know Understood. that I shouldn't be angry at the Weston. That's what, it, that's what I was taught in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and even now, I'm not engaging with the Weston because I still want to learn. I, I want to gather myself before I address it because I don't know exactly how that's going to turn out. But what I do know is that that situation, the more I tell it and the more I, I engage with like legal law, like lawyers and things of the like, that was not right. Correct. But I have a window. I'm using my window <laughs> to gather myself. Mm. But yeah, um, so I take, I take it off. I go back to some shows. I get callbacks for three Broadway shows. One, I get the final callback for. I'm in the uh, elevator for this callback with the director. And it's, it's a, he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. He's one of those, like, what you think of Broadway directors, he is. Um, Word. He looks over and he goes, someone might be getting a job today, gets out the elevator. So at this point, I wasn't sure if he was the director, but at that point I was like, oh, this is the guy I'm going to be auditioning for. So I get into this final audition. A little bit before, I had uh, physical therapy earlier that day. I okay. release a muscle to where I'm spasming and then it's cool. Oh, honey. So it's all good. It's all good. I get into the final room. We're doing the audition and they go, hey, everything's great, but can you move less? Because this character... 
because of the roll, they could not move. They there were certain you could not move certain ligaments. Um, so I'm like, oh my god, I didn't realize I was. So I do it again. I move again. So then I'm looking at casting. Casting's looking at me, and then it, I because it's giving little spasms. It's getting spasms. And like I, oh, it's, man. it's involuntary. And your so, adrenaline's running. Running, because again, yes. the audacity, the audacity mm-hmm. of me to almost channel my inner caucasity to be like, hey, I'm gonna move to New York in a year. In book Broadway, like the audacity. Hey, that's called that's called ambition, yo. So I mean, you know. so here I am in my head, like, well, technically it's under a year. I'm about to book Broadway. Like it's about to go down. And here I am in this room and something that is out of my control, these muscle spasms. So I'm looking, and this person goes, like, are you gonna be a liability? After I like tell the story of like, hey, this happened to me, that was the response. Oh yes. Oh my god. So in my back, I go, oh my God, this situation has taken, like, this is the first time I've gone for something and not gotten it. Like, there's times I've had setbacks and stuff like that, but this is the first time I've put all my weight behind something and something involuntary has taken me out. And it, 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 it blew my mind and it just froze me. A little bit after that, COVID happens. So not only am I back, but now I have to sit in this. So now I'm just sitting in it because again, you can't go nowhere. COVID just happened. The shutdowns just happened. Um, so I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, 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 I'll do some other stuff. So I'll collect my unemployment. And you know what? Now's a good time for me to reset and learn some new skill sets. So I'll learn guitar. I'll do this. I'll learn the stock market. So I get a group of my friends together and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing called the culture club. And we're going to do all this. I, I create this business model for it. And I try to get our first guests and I tell them about everything. Like, oh, I was in an accident and all this. And now I want to teach my artist friends and BIPOC friends how to make money on the stock market. They go, oh, cool. Who else knows about this idea? And I go, no one. I just started it. They so, go, anyway, they no, go please. I, I'll buy it from you. And I go, what? And they go, I'll buy it. So I sold it. I totally sold it. And that's what kind of funded my 2020 into like here. Because I was able to take that from my project and figure stuff out. So, um, but that's also, I'm, I'm very big on like, oh, I have an idea. I'll write it down. I'll create the pitch pack for it and just let it sit. So whenever someone's like, I need something, I'll run. Cause I also do a lot of ghostwriting. So it always helps me to have that stuff like back pocket ready to go for somebody who's willing to throw it out money. So, um, that helped me out a lot. So now I'm just really sitting there. There's no pressing thing of work. And now I'm just recollect, like just, just reflecting on my life and this mm-hmm. accident that kind of just through me. Here I am, not in what I consider my home field, because I'm in New York. No one really knows me. Um, I'm making mm-hmm. my way through like Pat McCorkle and Telsey and all them, but they don't know me, know me. They just know that I'm a bankable. Like they know that I'm reliable. That's all they really know. Well, I mean, it's a good thing to know, but also just to uh, make this clear, this is all happening um, within the first year of your of your time in New York City. First year in New York? Your first year, New York. Your, first, your first less than a year. Wow. Um, leading up to everything that you've just talked about now heading into our current pandemic. Yeah. Copy that. Also, this is all within a year. This is all within a year that, yeah. that moved, booked, bicycle accident, final callbacks for Broadway, COVID. That's my Damn. year in New York. Um, so then, mind you, I never really got responses from Actors Equity. I had to push them for it. So I got a little thrown when the elections were taking place. 
And in my inbox were people being like, don't vote for this person because they're a racist. All this George Floyd just happened. And I'm going, so you mean to tell me union governance and people looking to run and all these people who are pro-union all of a sudden want my voice? All of a sudden they want me to care, even though they couldn't give like a fuck about me dying? Now you want me? So now I was upset. So I go and I'm like, okay, so we have a racist running. Is anyone going to do anything? And I learned more because this person, his name was Mark Richard Taylor, reaches out to me seeing that I was complaining. And he gives this long write-up about all the stuff that, that proves that he's not racist. And I go, that's weird. So then I click on his, his uh, Facebook just for shits and giggles. And I find that like, he has a lot of people defending him, but they're not white. Like a lot of them were BIPOC members of Florida defending him. So now I'm like, well, this doesn't, this, none of this makes sense. So then I pull out my little nerd suitcase that I would normally use for like acting and stuff or like projects. And I was like, let's figure this out. So I create a little, a game plan. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this interview with this guy. We're going to talk about racism and I'm going to see if I can get him to understand how the stuff he's put out is racist. But as I did my research and talked to him in exchange, I saw that he had email correspondence with like an Eastern vice president, which was the shit she was saying was way worse than what I thought he did. I found out that the, 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 the argument happened not because of race, but because they had a falling out. So now they're trying to bury this guy, which rightfully he, he supplied them the ammo to bury him. So I'm like, this is odd. So that one episode, I'm like, well, let's do a second episode now that I have everyone's attention. I'll get Bogey, who then was running against uh, President Kate Schindel. Um, Stephen Bogardis is his name. He's also the first Broadway show that I ever saw. It was him, Brian Stokes Mitchell, and Allison Tucker Mitchell in Don Quixote. Man of La Mancha. Oh yes! Oh, that very—it's a kind of a another kind of mysterious B-side revival that happened. Um, just to go back to when you wanted to facilitate the interview with the East Coast, one of the East Coast reps. Yeah, he was so, running for uh, counselor. So the one who was running for counselor with all because I, I remember seeing all that shit pop up, obviously because we were mm-hmm. hello, um, and um, you had already established the receipts at that point. Or that was going to be the advent of the receipts? Or were you going to interview them um, through another show? No, the receipts did not exist. This was the impetus for the receipts. Oh, so you knew, so you're like, let me interview this as the launching of a new show. No, I honestly oh. thought it was going to be one episode. And that's why I called it the receipts is because I, I literally pulled all these receipts of this man's life, pulled these receipts from Actors' Equity and was able to have the conversation. But what I learned is like, there's no way you can have that conversation in one episode. So I was like, well, in order for everyone to understand this, like, I think it was a week worth of research. In order for people to understand a week worth of research, I should probably break this up a little bit. Because originally it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be Mark Richard Taylor. And one of the people that I found that I believed was really driving this at the time was, um, she was running for Western VP. She won, um, Kelly Faulkner. Um, I ended up voting for Kelly. I voted for Kate Schindel. Yeah, I've, it's funny how I voted for all these people that I'm like, I don't, I have, I have buyer's remorse now that I, I've learned more. But at the time, they, if we go back in time, I will probably still vote for them because I felt like their vision was clear. No, no shade to Dev or Bogey or anyone. I like everybody, but I felt that it was very clear what their messaging was when they weren't making it about outing racist. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. So, um, 
it was supposed to be the two of them. And I was going to have them talk separately for a half hour each. Kelly pulled out for reasons I didn't understand at the time. But now if I were Kelly Falk, I would not do an interview with me. I would I would not. I, I would do it with people who have not done their homework. I would totally set myself up for people who are not educated. I, it's same thing for Shindo. The smartest thing that Kate Shindo has ever done is find a way not to get on 10 episodes of the receipts. <laughs> like, it, the, the, the more she dodges it, the better off she is. Like I, if I were, if I were anyone in her camp, I'd be like, don't do it unless you were ready to be honest, unless you were ready to be real, don't you do it. Um, so I did a second episode because I wanted people to understand the pain and how black bodies were being misused. Yes. From within, there. Within the within meaning- theater. Within theater, meaning both uh, in all facets of theater. All facets. Amen. Um, so we had that episode. I was doing the promotions for it. And then the way the story was told to me, and hopefully one day I'll get to sit down with her and understand. But my understanding is that Mel Rob sent a message being like, take this post down. During election times, it's inappropriate and all this. So what post is this? Uh, this was literally the poster of We Tell Our Story, Black equity actors talking about how their bodies were misused in theater, in traditional theater spaces. The way it was told to me is that the Eastern V, I'm sorry, the vice president, period, the vice president, period, um, Melissa Robinette shut that shit down. She said, take that poster down <laughs> because Stephen Bogardus is on, even though it was supposed to be Kate and Stephen, Kate did not respond. Um, she was very selective in her response. When I when I was when people thought I was taking down Mark Richard Taylor, all of a sudden she was accessible. When I wanted more responsibility and accountability from the union, I've yet to really be able to secure her. But um, it's it's very interesting how all that went down and how everyone was working together. So I started opening up a little bit more. From there, we were able to get someone named Brandon Burke's uh, reparations for the work he had done on the show. Um, we ended up having an episode with my Black counsel in which Tanya Pinkins comes on, and we talk about the bullying that has taken place. Some oh, I, was, of the, like, I was there. <laughs> you're I was like, there. I witnessed that. I was there. Mm-hmm. A loaded episode. Mm-hmm. A loaded episode that I think... Which is available, everyone, by the way. We'll talk it, about that at the end. That is episode eight of The Receipts, which is, ep- I think episode one is me finding my footing. Because again, I'm like, I don't want to break this man, but at the same time, I want to be respectful of this man. Well, I mean, there's so much, so much to unpack here. So to, so what, what, what seems to be the, the, what happened here is y- you kind of fell into this. Yes. Quite, quite literally, like you, it, it wasn't like you were like, you know what I'm going to do today, kids. You know, because I mean, let's be real, it's a lot of responsibility, right? Yes. But what's interesting is, and what I find so um, impressive is like, you, you know, because we're in a business, it's like, <laughs> you know, you're the way you're even pro- processing this information to me. Uh, sharing this, communicating this information to to me and to to the listeners, it's just very like factual. And I think no one's really, you know, as we know, as a, you know, Americans, we're not really cool with facts. At least half of us, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like we've we've literally found that out on paper. Like half of us don't really give a fuck about a fact. You know what I'm sure. saying? Like we don't really, you know. And that's a that's a very American thing because we're very privileged, which we will unpack more this month. Um, and you know, to be not white. Uh, 
in this is is a is a whole other equation that comes with everything. So the the point I'm just trying to say that that's interesting to me is it seems like you basically were just being yourself. You happen to start unpacking something, and you're like, "Okay, how do I go about this?" And you just charged forward and. Is this the right word? Became an activist within your within your union. Well, yeah. Um, uh, in my ghostwriting past, it's not like this is the first time. Like I was a I was a youth president for the uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church, so I had my own region that I I first got exposed to leadership in that way. Um, I I did speech and debate. I ended up going to like Harvard for competition, JMU, St. Joe's stuff. Like I I I I did have it. I do know Robert Rules and all that. Oh it's yeah, just- no, absolutely. But what I'm saying is, I don't think what, what, what I'm saying is that's really. Uh, impressive again to me is that you didn't like wake up that day going ding ding you used all these skills to literally create like investigatory activism oh yeah that's what i'm saying you know like you never thought to yourself you know what i want to fuck with today like it's a weird (laughs) thing right if if you and frankly the way i would see that kind of situation is to make the conscious choice about that much like making the real conscious choice to do theater if you really think about it you're like that's not going to go well so you don't do it you know what I mean? And it, it, it's, it says a lot about your character that you just kind of raged into this, um, this role, for lack of better words. Uh, now, to be clear, all of this happened. Where on the timeline has this, this advent of this interview started uh, and where you became nominated? Good question. Um, so it was around episode, let's see. So episode eight had just happened, which was when I tell you explosive, the response was explosive. Like everyone was sending messages about like stuff that had happened to them. And they, I, I think people were very hungry for someone to rally behind to like go after AEA, which again, I didn't want to go after Mark Richard Taylor. I do not want to go after AEA. So then someone was like, have you thought about running? And I was like, no, because it seems like, it seems like things get done more outside of the union and forcing them to do things than within. I just did not buy that change could actually happen. So they were like, well, actually there's this convention happening where you can write a bill. And I had been doing this thing in the show at this point where like, if I know something's coming down the line, I would plant a seed. So I I brought up, for example, I think I made a joke about Willem from Drag Race, knowing that he will be on a later episode. Um, I made made a joke about, uh, not a joke, but I made, I broke down one of Tanya Pinkin's articles knowing that she was coming. I started talking about the SAG after thing before anyone even knew about it. Mm. And I was the first one to get David White to break the news on the final episode. Because the joke to me was, you know what? The president of AEA isn't available, but we got smaller guests for the final. We got the president of SAG after and the national executive director. You know, just smaller, just a smaller booking. So that was the joke. I was being kind of like an ass and just That's amazing. Being- And they were totally ready to fight. And I was like, hey, guys, before you even come on, I want you to know I'm fully aware that there's a a fight between AEA and SAG-AFTRA happening right now. And if you come on, we're going to talk about it. And they went, bring it. (laughs) Bring it. Let's talk about it. So with Actors' Equity, I did a little quick slide of just being like, so where does does the line end between Actors' Equity and SAG? And David White was like, if it's film, if there's a lens, if, if it's 
if it's something like, if it's broadcast, it's us, period. And we're willing to give waivers and do all this. And it's funny because watching how the fight unfolded, I would be the one in these meetings being like, um, David White said that y'all gonna have to sign some waivers. So why are we even fighting this? And people would be like, no, we're not taking another inch. We're not doing this, blah, blah, blah. Only for us to end up with that agreement in September, October. Like it's, it's embarrassing how that went down. But it was also encouraging to see like this incredibly brilliant Black man navigate the ridiculousness that was actors' equity in this entire fight. Yo, I mean, so, okay. So from there, just to, add, just to add, make sure I do yeah, no, answer your put, question. Let's the bow on it. <laughs> so from there, when I got that news for the 10th episode, that's when I was like, you know what? I should definitely run. I should run for delegate. Um, and I, from there, I can create a Black Theater Matters bill based on what everyone is saying in every region. And then I can go to this convention, drop this bomb, get it approved, and then I won't have to deal with actors' equity ever again. That's what I have in my head. It's like, once all this is done and they, 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 they're bound to this law, if it gets approved, then I don't have to be a counselor. I don't have to give my time. And I can focus on, you know, this thing called a career that was the whole reason I got in this. Hello. So that's why I got involved. Okay. Dear listeners, we are just starting to scrape the surface. We have two more episodes with this brilliant young man, Davon Williams, who is taking action and truly being of service to his community. <laughs> so please use your thumbs, show us some love. You can follow us at 4FS underscore podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Send us a message, give us some feedback. We would love to hear from you. And if you have the bandwidth and you can leave a review for us, even better. We love, love, love your support. We're so happy that you're tuning in and listening and we have more yep. conversations to unpack. So until then, dear beloved listeners, be healthy, be actionable, and most importantly, be authentic. Much love. For Fuck's Sake Podcast is brought to you by Alvarez Kiko Salazar Productions. Original music by Manuel Paleo and Giancarlo Bonfanti. Produced and engineered by Aaron Salazar. Recorded in New York City. 